you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see all the rest of you on a beautiful summer day, huh? I think summer's here. <laughs> I think it's here. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts once again. Acts chapter 9, we find ourselves today, uh, the conversion of Paul, if you will, or the transformation of. Acts chapter 9, we'll begin reading at verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Paul arose, I'm sorry, and Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how... How many, I'm sorry, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. May the Lord add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this place on a beautiful day that you've created and allowing us to be a part of it, that we have the opportunity to praise and to worship your name, to lift you up on high. Uh, Father, thank you for those that have come this morning that are interested in Again, extending their relationship with you, bringing praise and adoration to yourself. Fathers, we surround the word now. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us exclusively, that we would be yours for these moments and beyond. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, Father, the world needs dedicated, committed, submitted Christians. Father, thank you for what you're going to do today. You are a great and awesome and powerful and sovereign God. We thank in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this man, Saul, and I, I, I'll apologize in advance because I, I've 
called him Paul way more than I've called him Saul. Uh, but this was a man that we would have met uh, previously in chapter 7. Uh, he was there at would have been the first martyrdom of a Christian. That man's name was Stephen. Stephen was one that was on fire for Jesus Christ. He was one that was fully, and it said even previously in the, the chapters to that, because Stephen uh, came on board because there was a big problem in the church, a big problem in the church. There was a whole lot of people, and there wasn't enough things getting done to take care of, in this case, the Hellenistic Jews as widows, those that would have been basically maybe in the, in the background and, and needed food, probably, particularly a job, a place to stay, whatever. And there was a problem. There was a hang-up. And the disciples, the apostles, I should say, were actually, they went to the people, and they said, we need seven guys that are full of the Holy Ghost that can get this job done people we can count on. Well, guess what? One of those seven was a man by the name of Stephen. And Stephen, he was more than just a server. He was one that literally preached the name of Jesus Christ to the highest heavens. That's how he and no doubt our friend Saul that we find here in chapter 9 met. Uh, being a Hellenistic Jew for just a moment, we'll step back for a moment. The Feast of Pentecost where the, where the church began. Now, we're part of that today. You having entered this building are the church if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. That is the church, the living organism. And it began historically right here back in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost. And there would have been, because of the Jewish holiday or uh, ceremony, that people from all over the world literally would have come for that gathering. Those which would have been called Hellenistic Jews, they spoke Greek or other languages, but were Jewish, which in the Gentile nations in which they found themselves living normally. Well, they come to town, and all of a sudden, this was the day that the Holy Spirit literally came in force in every single person that trusted Christ as Savior. They were the witnesses, if you will, of hearing those 120 that were praying in the upper room that literally, as a... As a uh, an understanding, if we shall we, a validation, that's where I'm looking at. A validation is the fact that they were able to speak in languages they didn't know to people they didn't know, but were worshiping God in a language that came from those that were all across the world. Those being the Hellenistic Jews would have probably not even went home. There was no place to go. Well, Saul, we'll talk about him for a moment in the sense of his background. Uh, Laramie, if you maybe put up uh, Paul, if he became known Paul later, his three missionary journeys, we'll find where he, be, where he began. Where he began. It was a, a place called Tarsus. And Tarsus would be right here in Cilicia, or even today the border of Turkey and Syria. Now, it would be a place that, very Roman at that time, uh, but however, Paul was a Jew. His father was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, which would mean that he was very attached to Judaism. In fact, it's thought that potentially as soon as Paul, Saul in this case, is beginning in his life, would have been of 13 years of age or whatever, a time of becoming a man in the Jewish culture, that he no doubt would have headed down into Jerusalem or Judea because it, we're also told that he was a student of a Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel served on the Supreme Court of Israel. That was like our Supreme Court in the United States. It's in Washington, D.C., and it is the rule, the law of the land. Uh, the Sanhedrin were the very same in the sense of that body made up of particularly Sadducees and Pharisees uh, would have ruled the, the nation, if you will. Well, Gamaliel, we saw him previously in Acts as well because the apostles, and this is what might, just made Saul so rabid as his key teacher, Gamaliel, he would have been obviously in the Sanhedrin, but would have also taken an attack against the Christians because this Jesus, 
Now, we know Jesus Christ, we feel that's his name, right? If, if you talk about Jesus Christ to someone on the street, you go to the Napa store or whatever, or grocery store or whatever, when you say Jesus Christ, it's just the name that we affix to him. But when you say Jesus Christ to a Jew, you're saying a lot. You are saying, first of all, Jesus will be, and that word, Jesus, do you know what the word Jesus means even? Hearing cricket, excuse me? Jehovah, Jehovah saves. And that's how he's actually addressed, and we'll get into that in a moment, to Saul. But Jesus, the very word, is Jehovah saves. But when I say Christ, that in the, in the Greek would be Christos, or the Messiah, to a Jew that had just two months earlier had crucified Jesus Christ outside the walls of Jerusalem. When you say Jesus Christ, it's like hitting him on a head with a two-by-four, because you are saying Jesus is the Messiah. That's bad if you're a Jew. Literally, Gamaliel, in this in the whole encroachment of the church which took place, well, you guys have seen that temple so many times, but they were having church, if you will, in the temple where the Jews are meeting that want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Think of that. Literally, you're doing business in the enemy territory. But as that unfolded, uh, they started arresting people. They started to attack the Christians. And Gamaliel was one of those that said, no, wait a minute, guys. Uh, let's just tell them not to do that, because if this is a work of God, you're not going to stop it. Gamaliel, one of his key students, was none other than Saul. Saul would have been that, would have just enraged and flamed by what is taking place with this, this Christ. I, I'm sorry, this Jesus. He would have never called him the Christ. Never. He would have called him Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, uh, take your Bibles for a moment, and there's things that we can gain from testimony that he gave and later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 26, I believe it is, we'll find, in fact, that he lists or labels this Jesus that he was taking effect to. Let's see where I can start here. Um, let's start in verse 10, uh, Acts chapter 26 and verse 10. Verse 9, there's a better one. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. When you said Jesus of Nazareth in Saul's company, you knew he hated him. Saul hated Jesus Christ. No, it's not Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. He would have never said Christ. Have I got that clear yet? I bet I have. I can't even stop it, can I? So we find Saul. He's at Tarsus. No doubt had taken, uh, what should we say, um, residence within Jerusalem, studied under Gamaliel. Uh, a prime, I mean, you can just tell a devout student, a devout student of Judaism. And he is inflamed by all that's taking place. Stephen must have just brought it out to the very end. It says that at Stephen's martyrdom, it is killing his execution, that they laid the garments at, a, at the feet of a young man, Saul. That's the first time you see him in Scripture. It's chapter 7, verse 58 of Acts. Which means that he was probably the instigator of the whole thing. In fact, I'm pretty much convinced because of the student that he was under Gamaliel. And if you actually, if you go to Tarsus itself, it was one of the three major universities in that town. You know, you hear in America, Hale and, I'm sorry, Hale, Harvard and Yale and Princeton. Now they would be, boy, that was great. I came from Hale. I hailed from Hale. <laughs> that was bad. That was really bad. But at any rate, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton would be likelihood of, of for, for instance, the University of Tarsus, Alexandria, and Athens, those were the big three in the world, if you will. Tarsus was very known for its distinguished 
uh, uh, higher education. His father, no doubt, would have been uh, very educated as well. But if you come in and you're studying under Gamaliel, and Gamaliel's taken a, taken a stance against Jesus and against all of those followers, the Christians. Now, actually, that word Christian to us today, um, it's, it's amazing how that word itself has evolved in the sense of meaning. Uh, here, when one would say Christians, it wasn't just a follower of Christ. It would have been the little Christs. It was almost like a mockery. Oh, there's another one of those Christs, one of those little Christs. Okay, that's how they would have seen it. Now, today in America, if you say you're a Christian, it probably doesn't mean anything. Right? There's a whole lot of people that say they're Christians that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of, from your sin. Uh, so it's amazing how that word has evolved over all of these years. At this point, there's a couple things that uh, he talks about as well, not only Christians, but the way. Did you notice, going back to Acts chapter 9, you'll find that he's on a mission. Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Now, the high priest would have a great deal of power being in Jerusalem, Where's Jerusalem? Right here. Um, he went, Saul went to get a letter of, shall we say, uh, arrestment or a way to be apprehending those. Now, Laramie, if you can go to the nation of Israel now, we'll see where he's going. Okay? He's breathing. Uh, now, how many of you counted how many breaths you took uh, yesterday? Oh, you didn't? Lots. Lots? Okay, well, that's fair. Why, why didn't you take a count? Because you did it without thinking. That's my point. You didn't think about breathing. If you think about breathing, it's probably not good. We think of our brother Elton. Breathing is a struggle for him right now because his lungs are wasted. He's looking for news. Did, you, did someone announce he actually was uh, He's on the list, right? Yeah. Great news, right? Great news. But at any rate, for you, breathing is just, it's normal. In fact, I'll tell you what's not normal is holding your breath. Try that for a while, like five minutes. No, you can't make it that long, can you? See, breathing is normal. Now, think of that. This guy is normally, that's how he just wakes up and his whole day is breathing against the Christians. Now, uh, let's see. I might have to, what did I do? Is that thing in here that, maybe? Because I can't, I got to look for it myself. Okay, that's not good. There's a what? Oh, that'll stop me, an off and on. That'll get me. Uh, I think its battery has expired. That's okay. So if we go, um, I'll put on my glasses. So he's in Jerusalem, obviously. He's getting a letter from the high priest. Now he's going to cruise way north. Now I can't reach that high. Uh, but I'm going to give you the straight line. If you see Caesarea Philippi and above it, at Syria it says, and it says Damascus. How am I doing? You guys didn't see it, did you? You did? Good. Excellent. So it's, it's way at the top. So that trip from Jerusalem to Damascus is about 160 miles. It would typically take a caravan from historical evidence or them illustrating that. It would probably be about a six-day journey, typically. Okay? So, I'm, again, I'm just looking at this guy. This guy is crazy on fire. He's rabid against Christians. Why wouldn't you just stay at hometown and just take care of business? This guy is willing to go with a group of men to arrest and apprehend Christians that are 160 miles away. How would you like to be around this guy? This is like Mr. Anti-Christian. Do you know any of those today? Have you written a few of those off? I mean, this, if you were, were going to have a prayer meeting and you sat down, and it's almost like 
Saul would have been outside the realm of being saved. Are you with me yet? We're talking about needing a transformation. Now, uh, when I say that word transformation, many things come to your mind. There are those that think in the sense, particularly in a worldly or societal things, when I say transformation, it's more of an external thing, right? There's people that have facelifts, they have tummy tucks, they have all of the stuff that what would be external that they themselves, in looking in mirror, says it's a transformation. Is it? Didn't change anything. It didn't change the thing that really makes you, you. That's what we're talking about with Saul. He needed an inside transformation. In fact, anything that would change him on the outside would, in fact, do you know how, how easy it was to tell Ananias that he was okay? Uh, Lord, uh, that guy, <laughs> he's not a nice guy. Saul was bad. Inside, outside, and here's the really weird part. He didn't know it. He thought he was doing what was right. He thought he was really serving God, and yet he was spiritually as blind as a bat. What a predicament. Let's go to Jeremiah for a moment. Jeremiah, see if you can find that in the Old Testament, obviously. Jeremiah, and we'll take a look at chapter 13 and verse 23. Uh, we're talking about the sense of the ability to transform. Uh, and it's amazing how there's commercials and advertisements, all sorts of things of how to transform your life. In fact, uh, even I, I don't know why this came to my mind, but there's a movie about the Transformers, right? Or that's, which I've never watched, but somebody they can turn, I guess, from cars into something else or whatever. But it, that's not what we're talking about. Just what's that? Superheroes. Superheroes, yeah. <laughs> Super something, anyway. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 13. Let's take a look now at verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Well, that's an interesting question. So the Ethiopian being of black skin, uh, can he just think about changing his skin? Maybe paint yourself for a while, but it always is it's never different. How about a leopard sitting and having a huddle and saying, guys, let's, just, let's get rid of these spots today. You can't do that. Do you see the impossibility written over all of this? Now, let's take a look. Let's finish the verse. You're still in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Well, then may you also do good that are accustomed to doing evil. If you can have a leopard change his spots or a black man turn into a different race by color, then you may be able to do good since you're doing evil. Did you see it? That's not an external thing. This is a transformation that seems impossible because it is. Same, keeping with Jeremiah, go back to chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22. Just as that's not possible, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22. For though thou wash with nitre, or take thee much soap, that yet thy iniquity is marked before they say, the Lord God. I mean, as much soap or lye or whatever you want to do to wash, you cannot get rid of the inside challenge, the problem that in this case, Paul or Saul would have had. Um, in fact, in Proverbs chapter 27, it says that a fool, even if you crushed him, is still the very the essence of a fool. There's, you can't get rid of that. And then, actually, in Jeremiah, since you're there, uh, chapter 17, verse 9, a very valid statement, in the sense of he's saying, 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can hold it? Who can change it? No one except God. His work's cut out for him, but here's the other thing. Do you know who was going? He was on this road to Damascus, 160-mile trip. And guess who does not want to change? Saul. He's not interested at all. He has no interest in changing. In fact, he thinks he's the one that's right. I think of all the people that we run into that are supposedly, quote-unquote, serving God and don't even know they're not. Saul would have been one of those. He was on a hunt, a mission, if you will, to round up all of those Christians. Now, the sovereignty of God, and again, it's just overarching in everything that we've done and asked so far, and actually through the, our world today. Right today, you probably, in your prayer time, potentially this morning, would have prayed for something. And it seemed over, it was just overpowering. It was too much. You, you don't know how you're going to do it, right? I, I was actually looking at some, I, I'm just looking at the work we've got before us for harvest coming up, and I'm like, whoa, that doesn't seem possible. And I'm praying about it. God, how do you want, what, what, where, how? And, you know, I'm convinced and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is working on that too. So here we have Saul going to Damascus and the Christians know that are praying for this Saul guy, this Saul guy that's coming to get us, to take us out, to arrest us, to apprehend us, to take us back, to imprison us, to kill us potentially. And God's got a plan. He's about to arrest Saul. Saul is on his high horse with a group going to Damascus. And out of the clear blue, he meets Jesus. Have you ever had a meeting of Jesus? A come to Jesus meeting? <laughs> it's amazing. When you meet Jesus, you know who's in charge. And it ain't you. He's on the road. He's getting close to Damascus, tells us. And there's a change about to take place, and not a small one. Let's go back to chapter 9 of Acts, Acts chapter 9. So he's got these letters from the priest, the high priest. He's on his way. He's got his entourage with him. And he's journeying, it says in verse 3, and they're near Damascus, just about to the city gates. Uh, Interestingly enough, there was a, a street uh, let's talk about Damascus for a little bit. That's a city that probably at that time would have been about 150,000 people. Okay, did you soak that in? What's the largest city in Montana? Billings. Billings. And its population would be? If you took, this, this could do the surrounding area. Maybe 100, maybe. I'm, I'm trying to make it a big number if I can. Let's just, you know, the surrounding area, Billings, Laurel, whatever, just put it all together. It's probably 100. This is 150,000 people. It's one and a half Billings metros, right? Whoa. Can you imagine how many Christians he can get here? <laughs> now, again, where, where did the church start? This is important. Where did it start? In Jerusalem, right here, right? And how did it move? Through persecution. The more that he tried, and I'm saying he, Satan, was trying to stamp out Christianity, the further it moved. In fact, we found that Philip, another one of those deacons, those ones that were of the seven, of which Stephen was a cohort, he was actively engaged in a ministry in Samaria. And then we found, actually, he met a guy over here at Gaza who happened to be an Ethiopian that was headed back into Africa, which probably evangelized, began the evangelization of the whole continent of Africa. One guy, one place, because of one man's death, Stephen, and that no doubt had caused 
the expansion of it even up into Damascus. Now, while that prayer is taking place, probably to protect us as Christians, God is going to change, literally transform the, the, the man Saul instantaneously, if you will. He's going to meet Jesus head on. Now, do you remember what Stephen's last prayer was? Did God answer that prayer? Right here. You remember Stephen and what incensed all of those there? He looked into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Literally, that prayer is being met right here as Saul is going to meet Jesus head on. And he sees him in all of his brilliance, all of the light that makes his glorified. It makes him so glorified. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Again, Paul's words inspired as he's speaking to the one he mentored, Timothy. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12. Let's start there. 1 Timothy 12, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. There we go. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that exactly true? Now, on your way back to Acts, let's stop in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. There's some things there that Paul reveals about himself that gives us a little more insight to himself. Paul, I'm going to... Can you fire up that air conditioner? Philippians chapter 3. Let's let's start in verse 4. He's giving himself as an example. Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof I he might trust in the flesh, I the more. He's saying, of my background, I could be more than any of you if I would rest on that. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I want to stop there for a moment. Who do you think he potentially would have been named after? Saul. From the tribe of Benjamin. The King Saul, right? That would have been a family name, so to speak. Saul. A Hebrew of Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which was in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. Watch. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. That would be, he was literally arrested by Jesus Christ. He was snatched, if you will. And on that road to Damascus, he met full score, full contact, Jesus Christ whew, in life. They're walking along the road, and it's at noontime. You can find that in Acts chapter 22 or 26, another uh, display of further uh, delineation of that. So it's about noon. Now, I don't, I've never been to the Middle East, but they say that the sun in the Middle East 
is way warm <coughs> at noon. It's hot. Now, given that and the brightness of it, they were accustomed to that. Now, this is the point. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ made the light and the, and the, and the sun in the middle of the day in the Middle East look like nothing. Because it literally blinded him instantaneously. Now, this isn't the blindness of darkness. This is a blindness of light. Uh, have any of you made the mistake welding? Thinking that I'll just weld a little bit? His uh, hands are going up. And it's amazing how that is long-lasting, isn't it? There are those that have made mistakes, astronomers that have looked at the sun for too long and have become blind as a result. Literally have changed everything in their lives. Well, here we have this man. He's on his way to Damascus, just about there. And he says, or he's, he falls to the, to the earth, literally, in verse 4, and he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, usually uh, you find in previous scriptures when there's a couple of different, when your name is named twice, like Martha, Martha. I know when my mother would say, Larry, Larry. Or it was usually, there was a Larry Dwight in there somewhere. And that middle name really told me, pay attention. Pay attention, buddy. There was something about a mother and the full name of a child. And we had moved on just to another level. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That must have been an interesting thing. Why are you persecuting me? Did you see he said me? Where's Jesus now? He's in heaven. He's resurrected. He ascended into heaven. Do you see the personal level of the pain that Jesus feels when you as a Christian are following him? He feels everything you feel. It's just like the high priest of it said, who do we pray for in Hebrews chapter 4? You come before the throne of God. The grace that is administered is because he feels your pain. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus said to Saul. That Damascus on the outskirts of that must have been pretty bold, pretty bright. In fact, it tells us later that he was taken to a street called Straight, which seems odd, but uh, that street literally in, the, in this, this city of Damascus for a moment, one of the oldest cities in the Middle East. But there is still a street, runs from the east gate to the west gate that's three miles long. It's not called the straight street, but no doubt it probably was that street. The city that he's about to enter, his life has changed. He met Jesus. Full, front, and center. Salvation is something that is instantaneous. Being conformed to Jesus Christ is a continuum. It goes on and on. As God does that work every day. He's doing it today. He's doing it right here amongst you if you are a believer in Christ. But it's interesting, there's a change from verse 4 to verse 5. And just that fast, did you see how he addressed him then? Let's read it again. Verse 4, he fell to earth after this light would have just, I mean, just instantaneously blinded him. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? He's in, not in a position to argue. God has him right where he wants him. 
Now, there's some of us that are a little bit more rebellious than others, and it's taken a little bit more of the Damascus Road approach from God to get our attention. Now, God is fully in charge here. Make no mistake about it. Now, there's other times it's been rather quiet, rather uneventful, but nonetheless still a sovereign act of God. He has, Paul, he has Saul in a position he is listening now. He is listening big time. And he addresses him then as, who art thou, Lord? He has his attention, Lord. And then he goes on to say this, I am Jesus. That must have hit him like a sledgehammer. You know who he's been persecuting? Do you remember? We read it in Acts chapter 26. I persecuted those that were of Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is the one that has blinded him, has him on his knees, literally, on the ground, and he addresses, who aren't you, Lord? You are obviously powerful. I am Jesus. I mean, the realization must have just stunned him. All of that, all of that, all that I've done, and he is the one that's literally in charge? Because when he said, I am Jesus, Jehovah saves, he literally ties himself to all that the Old Testament speaks of as who God is. And here's Saul, trembling, no doubt, of this one that he has been persecuting at every possible time that he's had opportunity to do so. And then he says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, or the goads. Now, a goad, do you guys know what a goad is? G-O-A-D? It would be, a, yeah, exactly. And if you had an oxen, that's kind of what Jeannie does to Paul once in a while. She goads him. And you've heard that. Can give an example? <laughs> All the time, right? And there would have been those that would have been driving oxen or that sort of thing. They would have had a goad, and they would just <coughs> encourage them. Now, Paul, every time that he was persecuting Jesus Christ or persecuting a Christian, it was like he himself was injured by the fact of what he was doing to supposedly be helping God. His conscience became even more inflamed as he's pushing against the real God of the Old Testament, which literally is none other than Jesus Christ. His life must have been a mess. Now, the group that was with him, they heard all of this stuff, but they didn't know what was going on. Had no idea. Uh, if you remember when God the Father in John chapter 12, he spoke of Jesus as being his son. Or, I'm sorry, at the transfiguration. Uh, his, you would have, and you know, they, they heard the thunder, they heard the noise, and they really didn't know what it was all about. The rest of that entourage did, probably did not know what was going on with the direct communication going on between Jesus and, and Paul. But in verse 6, you see he's trembling and astonished, and he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? Now, look at the change. We're reading this quickly in three verses, but we have a man, keep in mind, I mean, he's got his boots on, and he's going to Damascus, and we're going to go round up Christians, and we're going to take them back to Jerusalem. We're going to get those people fixed. We're going to take care of them. And literally within a split second, He's blinded, he's on the ground, and he's having a conversation with Jesus Christ who says, I am Jesus. And then he says, what do you want me to do? <laughs> now that's a change of heart. That's literally what salvation does. Because there are some things that happen when someone has turned their life over to Christ. 
One of the first things is, obviously, is a faith in a Savior. There is no question that Paul has changed, and we, we find that later in his life. He's the greatest apostle that's ever lived. He's the last apostle because he literally, to, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, you had to have been with Jesus Christ. Just like there's other 11 that are residing in Jerusalem, Paul would have been the last one. But he saw Jesus face up, face on. He would have been the last one. And his life was significantly changed. But I, we haven't, we're just about to get there. But now here's a man that is blinded. They lead him into Damascus to a house. And what is he doing? Well, it tells us what he's not doing. He's not seeing. And think of that. What would have been the last thing that would be in his mind was that brilliance of Jesus Christ. That's the last thing that he would have seen. That's the thing that would have been right there. I don't know what that looks like. But amazingly enough, that would have been the last image that would have been fixed in Paul's eyes. For how long? For three days. He did not eat. He did not drink. And he did not see for three days. But do you know what he was doing? Let's find out. Saul arose from the earth, verse 8, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. I want you to soak in that for just a moment. 72 hours not eating or drinking, and not seeing. What do you do? Has something changed within him? Let's keep reading. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Now we'll come back to this. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. <laughs> that's an interesting thing. That's certainly a characteristic of someone that has come to Christ is the fact that they are fervently or passionately praying. Now, we use the word pray, and a lot of times we, conf- we affix to it a position, you know, such as kneeling. Okay? Anything wrong with kneeling? Of course not. But does that mean I need to be kneeling to pray? No. What is praying? Literally. What is just what is praying? Communion with God. Just literally talking to Him. I mean, I've been, I've been doing it all day. In fact, just before I came up here to give you the word that is in the word, I, Lord God, give them what they need. Use me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't know what, what they need. I, but you do. I trust you with what's going to be said. And as you rise every, every morning, Lord God, what do you have for me today? You run into a problem or a great thing. Praise. Thank you, God. Where do I go next? See, that's all praying. That's all communicating. That's talking with communicating with God. All of those things, literally, what does it do? It puts you in a closer relationship. And if he is your savior, it's just like breathing. If I was to ask you, how many times, Paul, how many times did you pray yesterday? You shouldn't be able to answer. You didn't, did you? No, of course not. If someone would have said, now there's people that literally have a religion of which it's time to pray. It's time to, oh, I got to go pray. That's religion. That's not a relationship. The difference is it's just like breathing. You didn't count how much you breathed yesterday. You shouldn't count how much you prayed because it's the same. It should just be part of the nature. When Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you've trusted as your Savior, 
the first, one of the very first things is you want to communicate with him. You want to talk with him. And sometimes the word prayer is too formalized. And you know how it became formalized? Because there's times to pray. No, no. It's big time. All times are to pray. Communicate with God. You should be one, and you should want to talk to him. He'll be like telling, you know, you really probably, Jeff, you shouldn't breathe for a while. You, you know, you shouldn't, and, and, and likely, you shouldn't pray. Are you kidding me? It's just as foreign. If you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, praying, communicating with him should just be fluid. It should be almost nonstop. Breathing. You know, I think there's a change of pace now. We saw Saul just a few verses previous. He's breathing about persecuting Christians. Now he's praying. He's, there's a passion within his communicating with this newfound Savior. Passionate in prayer. Now, it's interesting that uh, we have two men now in the same town. And if you were going to ask either one of them previously... Would there be an engagement or a meeting of you two? Now, I'm convinced that Ananias, who would have been in Damascus, this is where he, resi- where he was residing, it tells us in another path that he was a devout Jew. He was one, obviously, that had come to Christ because he knew who or what God sounded like. Now, that's a good question for us. As God came to Ananias, it says he said Ananias. Now, it was in a vision, was it whatever? doesn't matter. But it would seem to me that Ananias was so open to knowing what God sounded like and where he would speak to him that he heard it. I'm afraid sometimes that our noise levels as Christians in the society we find ourselves living is too loud. Is God speaking in a still small voice and we're not hearing? That's right. I mean, this is, this is true stuff. Don't miss that voice because you know what? Just as Saul is in Damascus for three days, there's someone that God is working on to be part of Paul's, Saul's new journey, his new mission. What if Ananias hadn't been listening? Now, these are all, you know, God will get his work done. But what if he hadn't been listening? What if he didn't hear him? What if he didn't obey? What if he said, well, I'll need some time to think about that? That's personal to us, isn't it? Are we there? Are we listening? Are we paying attention? Are we willing to do God's word? Ananias was right there. Yes, here I am. Now, as Paul is praying down the street in the same town, God is sovereignly working in, the, in, the, in a vision for a man that would have felt very threatened by this Saul guy. Sometimes, has it been, have you been afraid of doing God's will because you know enough about it to be scared about what might happen? Don't be. If there was anyone that should have feared, Ananias was that guy. Let's watch this. It says there was a certain man at Damascus named Ananias, not the one that was in chapter 5. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Responding the same way, a one that had just found Christ, Saul, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, go to town, go to the city, and there you will be told what to do. And now he goes to Ananias, the Lord that is, and he says, Ananias, I'm here. He says, go, I want you to go to the street, which is called Straight, inquire the house of Judas. We don't know any more about that man. And there's one called Saul of Tarsus. 
for behold, he prayeth. Now, he didn't hear a lot about the word praying because his response was this. And keep, we'll keep going. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive sight. Now, this is so cool. You're talking about sovereign. So you got a house down the street, and Saul, in his praying in a vision, within his mind, sees this man named Ananias that he doesn't know anything about. And down the street, God is saying to Ananias, there's a guy down there in Straight Street in the house of Judah that he needs to see you. Talk about put it together. And he's still doing that today, folks. There's no question about that. God sovereignly acts in the salvation of every single person. And one soul at a time is brought together. And think of your relationship as a follower, as a passionate prayer. You're breathing. You're communicating with God that he wants you to go about what it is to make it all come together. Isn't that cool? Now, the thing that wasn't cool was Ananias' picture of who Saul of Tarsus was. He's okay with following God. He's okay with doing everything that God wants him to do, but not that guy. God, if you're not, if you, whoa, time out. Time, time, that's a time out. Don't you know about Saul, God? Haven't you tuned into him lately? That's the non-transformable one. That's the one that can't be fixed. That's the guy that's way out there. No, you got the wrong Saul, right? It's Saul of something, and that's why he said it wasn't just any Saul. He said Saul of Tarsus. Very clear what he wanted. In fact, he goes on to say a little bit more. Um, Lord, verse 13, I have heard many of this man, and he's so much evil. He's done to the saints of Jerusalem, and uh, he's got authority from the chief priest to bind all the call in his name. In fact, I'm pretty sure that he would have been on that list. Let's see now. Going to Damascus. Oh, there. I wonder where that guy is. Ananias, we'll get to meet him probably. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God can change things? They met all right. Ananias went to meet Saul in a house, and he had a very different picture of what would happen. In fact, the Lord says in verse 15, Go thy way. Get going, get going, get going, Ananias. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. All of that, the persecution that Saul had been dishing out, literally, he says even later in his life that he received it as stripes of his Lord and Savior. There's two visions, same town, two men that God brings together. Independently and yet in unison. I wonder what that meeting was like. <laughs> Would you think there was some tentativeness? The transformation of Paul was spellbinding. I don't know how to say it. You couldn't, you couldn't, there's no way you could have done what's happened here in that short a time in one person. There's men that I think of across this world that I would see as unchangeable. I've listened to the stories and of George Soros, of him speaking, particularly in World War II, how he betrayed his fellow Jews. And they said of him, they asked him, was that not difficult to betray your, your fellow? Not really, is how he answered. How do you transform that? Only one way, only one way, and that's what it's about here today. Jesus Christ and he alone 
can transform that kind of a life. Those that are trying to restrict and reduce the, the world's population through various means. The only way that can be transformed is through Jesus Christ. A politician that thinks he has the world and he's powerful enough to be able to make decisions that can literally drive morality away at every phase can only be changed internally and transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. This world that is just hurtling towards hell, the only answer is Jesus Christ. Saul on that day was boiling towards Damascus. And the only thing that stopped him in his tracks and turned him on the inside was that same Jesus Christ that lives and rules and reigns today. And amazingly enough, that's the first and the last we hear of this under the cover Christian called Ananias. And yet he was instrumental, absolutely instrumental in rising this apostle that God used so magnanimously in the world called Paul that was, I'm sorry, Saul that turned into Saul. Okay, I said that totally wrong. <laughs> Saul turned into Paul. There we go. Okay. And it's amazing. He did what was necessary when he was called upon. I see a lot of you here. I see me as saying, will I say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ when there's something that's hard to do that doesn't seem like it's the right thing because I feel and hear all of the surrounding material that's around. Oh, I don't think that's a good idea. If God's in it, it's a great idea. I just think of how necessary was Ananias in Paul's life, Saul's life. It was everything. He's, how many days would it be? You know, let's just say Ananias took a few more days. Well, let me get back to you on God. I'll pray about that next week. I'll keep on it. I'll stay with you. Saul, after about, you know, a week of praying, would be looking for some sense of, okay, God, what are we doing here? I wonder how many of God's delays are literally based on us. It's a big statement, isn't it? I just wonder how much Jonah had an impact on Ananias to actually do it. Say that one more time. I just wonder how much his knowledge of Jonah had an impact on Ananias to actually do it. That's a really valid question because Ananias obviously would have been well-versed in the Old Testament. He would have known about Jonah, right? And Jonah going the wrong way, not just not going, he, he went the wrong way 900 miles. Have you ever thought about that? Not only am I not going to do what you want me to do, God, I'm going to turn around and go the other way, and I'm going to go as far as I can possibly go. And God had a message there too. It was a four-letter word. It started with an F and ends with an H. It was a fish. And he swallowed him, and on the beach, when he landed, I'm sure that Jonah said, Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Let's try it again. And what did he do? He went. He went to Nineveh, starting 900 miles in the wrong direction. Isn't that sometimes a Christian life? We've got so much time to recover because we didn't get it right the first time. But make no mistake, Christ is right there beside us, holding us, guiding us, encouraging us, giving us wisdom to move on. But Ananias, I have to be... And then once God said this, he said, no, no, I got some stuff for, I got stuff for Saul to do. And you need to go down there. And he says, he went. Shows up. Let's keep going now. Ananias went his way. He entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, oh, isn't that good? Did you see how he started? It was brother Saul. Brother Saul. You're one of us. Brother Saul, 
The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received forthwith and arose and was baptized. And received meat, he was strengthened. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? The key component to that, is, of course, God's in charge. Don't get me wrong. If it wasn't Ananias, he would have risen someone else to the test. But Ananias would have missed out on the blessing. That's for us as Christians as being followers of Jesus Christ. Obscure Christians really literally. I think of the, uh, if I was going to say Ed Kimball, just a man from the 1850s. Ed Kimball. You probably didn't know him. Ed Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He just had a group of young guys, junior high guys. He just, Ed showed up every week, and he just shared about Jesus. And there was one of those young men that really wasn't connecting with, or it didn't seem like it. He would show up once in a while. And so Ed took a, he took a jaunt, and he went to where this young man worked. It was at a shoe store. And he visited with this young man and, you know, kind of got him engaged and just kept working with him. And he gave his, his life to Jesus Christ. Same salvation that Paul was. Now, of course, this young boy was not Saul. He happened to be D.L. Moody, which literally evangelized a great part of the United States. You don't know this man, but you see how important that man was? You know how important you guys are once you've trusted Christ? Are you the next Ananias? Are you the next Ed Kimball? That's how God does it, doesn't he? Now, you notice God didn't tell him what to do. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, just go into Damascus. I will tell you. I will show you what you, want to do, what you need to do. It was one step at a time. I can't imagine my life's journey if at 16 or 18, well, of course, I knew a lot more at 16 than I do now again. But at any rate, there was a point at which even at 21, say, or 22, if I literally, if God would have said, here's the list. This is what I want you to do. I would have just been blown my mind. All the places you got to go and all the people you need to meet and all of this. Oh, my goodness, right? The best way to have God is what? Just one day at a time. The Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, more aptly named, would be, give us this day our daily bread. Not this day give us our yearly bread. This year give us our investment portfolio for the next 10 years. No, 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 no. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Is there a message? It's pretty daily, isn't it? And it's amazing how that works out the very best for Christians to literally be leading are be following just as much as the light is on the path. Thy word is a light unto my path. Not 10 years in advance, literally one step at a time. Ananias trusted. He didn't know what he was going to run into. I would have to say when I knocked on that door, from what I knew about Saul, how would I know he wasn't just playing a trick? No, it would have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ that had informed me in a vision that I need to go and do that, regardless of what happens. Regardless of what happens. Stephen, as he would have taken, been pelted by those rocks, and said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do as he looks to the, uh, into Jesus Christ, accepted into the hands of his Savior. That God is still sovereign today. He's still ruling and reigning. Our world needs a whole lot of Jesus right now. Would you not agree? From the halls of Helena to Washington, D.C., little town of Sheridan, Twin Bridges, Dillon, you name it, Jesus Christ is needed. 
I had a great opportunity this last week. Um, there are lots of busy things going on. It's the first time I ever had the chance to personally ask a governor in his physical presence, what could I pray for? for? Our governor, Gianforte, was in Sheridan for just a few moments. And I had, the right, I had the chance to shake his hand and I said, Greg, how could I pray for you? That's probably not something that happens every day. But the interesting part was, as he responded quickly, he said, Larry, he said, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, we're, I'm going to be traveling extensively through the state of Montana. He canvasses every county every year. Isn't that cool? I like that. He likes to get with the people. And he said, we're traveling. Please play for my safety, and I'd have the wisdom to know how to respond. Isn't that great? For people that God has placed in power to literally care about what God wants them to do. That sounds like a great start. (laughs) And you know what? God has you placed right where you're at. Whatever your address is right now, first and foremost, make sure that you get your faith in the Savior. Not in you, in the Savior. Find the Lord Jesus Christ yourself. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you hear my voice on a podcast, whatever it is. And you are trusting in yourself. You have by your, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you are literally living life to your power, to your abilities. And I'm going to just say, stop. Just stop for a second. You have no power over death. And it tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's a fact. That's a fix. That's reality. And if you're going to try to do it yourself, you will fail. Saul literally was failing. Even though he thought he was working for God, he was zealously, sincerely wrong about who he was serving. Men and women, there's only one place, the way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. You can call whatever you want. You can call it exclusive. You can call it anything. It's biased. I'm just going to say this much. If you're God, you can call the shots. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. The only way. But when you bow your knee before Jesus Christ as your Savior, trusting him, just as Saul did on that road, in a matter of a second or two, that man was transformed from the inside out. In fact, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It will not only happen to, uh, to Paul, it will also happen to you. The very same thing will happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is exactly what happened to Paul. Saul turning into Paul. And it will happen for you just as well today. And if you are saved, if you've made that commitment, then get on board. Lord, what do you want me to do? Are you praying fervently? Are you passionately involved communicating with God on a, not a, not a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis? Lord, where do you want me next? I still think about the fact of the places that I wouldn't go myself, but other people would pray, I want you exact. Please take Larry exactly where you need him to be. And it wouldn't be a place that I would, that I would want to go. But you know what? At the end of the thing, it was right where I should be. That's where you want to be with Jesus Christ. And guess what will happen? The world will be impacted just like Ananias was the perfect fit for Saul at a time when he was being journeyed to Christ's next position for him. Friend, God can use you no matter where you're at if you're willing to submit to him. Ananias was that man. You can be God's man or woman as well. Get salvation right first 
And then as he's conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ, all of the world becomes a place that you can be utilized for God's glory and your blessing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Saul. The man just moments before would have been a terror, a frightening individual that had only destruction, demise, persecution, massacre on his mind for all of those that were following after Jesus of Nazareth. The one he had come to hate was the, come, the one he came to meet. I thank you, Father, for the grace that you've bestowed upon us individually at the expense of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ hung on a cross bearing our shame, bearing our sin. He, the Son of God, the one that bore all of my guilt and paid the debt that I owed. To you, Father, I can only say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our future is fixed because the gift was perfect. The future is fixed because Jesus Christ accomplished everything that was necessary to make it right, real, and infinite. Father, today our prayer is that individually, personally, all of these, Father, there's a desire for those that have trusted Christ as Savior to literally go to the next level. Maybe they have the same attitude as Ananias. A bit doubtful, but Father, trusting you, just go. And he did. Saul was forever changed as a result of what Jesus Christ did on the road to Damascus. Father, there are other men and women that are on the road to Damascus today. It may not be as miraculous. It may not be as earth-shaking. But it's just as important for us to respond as you would want us to in the lives of them that have just found Christ. May we preach the word. May we preach Jesus day in and day out. For therein is the only answer we have for the problems facing us. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for our world. I pray for those that are in charge at levels of which it seems that we are at a free fall, spiraling out of control, falling further and further from you, Father. I lift this nation up, and not just as leaders, but at the grassroots, the families, those that are torn apart by societal challenges. Father, I pray for the church, fractured, divisive, chaotic, Father, this church would be would begun in Acts, and we just look at its humble beginnings, and they were true to the word and true to prayer. We're watching literally today, seeing the change that came upon those, the Gentiles that would be serviced and ministered to by this man, Saul, soon to be called Paul. You're the same God, Father. May revival take place. May it start right in our own hearts first. We make changes that are necessary, yielding more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Father, take us and use us. Change us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One last verse. Think of this. I just saw it when I was walking away. And no, it's not, I'm not going to go long, but Ephesians, you should turn there. Ephesians chapter 2 and take a look. This, is, this just almost fits perfectly with Paul, which we've seen as Saul changing from the inside. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Those are the two that we really are familiar with, but let's keep going this time. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Exactly, Paul. Bam, you hit the dirt. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Watch now, verse 10. 
for we are his workmanship, masterpiece, if you will, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We leave verse 10 out too often. We are his masterpiece of what he's done from us, a full transformation. And then I'll quit. 